Welcome to Synergetic Culture, where we exist to provide practical and tangible content to help you build a synergetic culture. Here's the dichotomy though. Culture is formed either by design or by default. A culture by design, when adopted by the people within the culture, has a multiplying effect in the way it builds the organization and the individuals within it. And this, my friends, this is a synergetic culture. So how do we create a culture by design? What fundamentals and tactics and principles build a synergetic culture? Well, you've come to the right place. So no matter where you find yourself in your career, this podcast is for you. And with that being said, let's jump into today's episode of Synergetic Culture. Welcome to episode 24 of Synergetic Culture. My name is Adam Bieber, and I want to thank you for tuning in for this episode today. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or one day on YouTube, I just want to say thanks for listening. I hope that this content adds value to your life. I hope that it helps inspire you and uh, bring about change and action that builds a more positive environment and a more synergetic culture for you to be a part of. So today I want to start off by recapping because we've kind of been in the middle of a, a series and it's called Eight Soft Skills That Will Change the Way You Lead. Now, real quick disclaimer, last week we stepped out of that series and put out an episode. Episode 23 exists apart from this eight-part series, but episode 23 was an interview with a good friend of mine, Anita Golden, and if you hadn't had the opportunity to go back and listen to it, I want to strongly encourage that you do. Anita's story is remarkable, and she talked about what it meant for her to reinvent herself multiple times along her journey. And what that did and how that's taught her um, to, to build um, on top of who she is. And it's, it's quite remarkable to listen to her story. Um, it's a little bit lengthy of an episode, so I encourage you to go back when you have some time and listen to it if you haven't. But I want to recap where we are in this series called Eight Soft Skills That Will Change the Way You Lead. So if you are just jumping in and if you've missed uh, up until this point, Again, you can always go back and listen to them, but here's a quick recap, okay? So in part one, we talked about empathy, and I outlined the differences between cognitive, emotional, and compassionate empathy and how those build on each other and how those are crucial to connection and building relationship and building the type of culture that thrives in an empathetic, uh, helpful, and encouraging way. And I hope that um, if you haven't listened to it, you'll go back and check that out. That kind of set the foundation for this series. And then in part two, we talked about discipline. And I got to interview one of my really good friends, Mark Burns, who is a master Taekwondo instructor. I can't remember how many degrees. I'll probably get corrected on this later, uh, seven or eight degrees. Um, and he's been doing martial arts for his entire life. Uh, over 30 years and just his experience and what discipline and having a disciplined mindset and attitude has done for him in his life and how um, if we can discipline our behavior, we can start to mold and shape our character and affect change within our, our lives. Um, a great episode on self-leadership um, was, was done with Mark Burns all around discipline. And then in part three, I brought a uh, topic on communication 
and the value of having clear, concise, and consistent communication and how much that affects the way that you lead yourself and lead the people around you. Um, and, and I say this often, your position doesn't determine your potential to impact the people around you. So when I say, say lead, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a, a quote unquote position of authority um, or, you know, uh, may, I'm not assuming that you have uh, a role on the corporate ladder that puts you over uh, uh, people. I think everybody and anybody can lead from any position and that having clearer communication, more concise communication, more consistent communication only makes you a better leader to be around. Um, and then when you do lead actual teams and people, uh, being able to apply those truths and principles and ideas to your leadership style, I think is only going to benefit you in the long run. Then in part four, we tackled flexibility. And just how important it is to be flexible because nothing ever goes according to plan. And no matter how much you prepare and get ready for something, uh, chances are that things are gonna, aren't going to happen the way that you predict them to happen. And so being flexible allows you to withstand the challenges that come from things not going according to plan. So today we're jumping back into our series. And we're going to be talking about something that um, is very practical. This is going to be... Um, practical, tactical. I really want to give you some, some, some helpful uh, uh, tips and things that I just feel like have helped me. And, and I've also observed and learned along the way that help with one specific area and that's problem solving. So today our topic is problem solving. And my goal for this is to be as, as helpful as possible um, but before we can get into the practical and tactical of like actual action steps, I think it really starts with the attitude that you have towards facing problems because it starts with the attitude and then it builds to action. So where, where your, where your mind is and where your heart is and where your attitude is, is often going to determine the action that follows. So how do we pivot our attitude if it's not in a great place when it comes to problems? Um, I know for me personally, uh, there are times where uh, the, I, I get this right, or, I, or at least I feel like I do, and I'm I'm uh, a, a pretty strong problem solver. I'm going to share in a little bit some of the some of the things that I learned uh, growing up um, from from my dad. But uh, part of what what what's very practical is if you struggle with overcoming objections, overcoming challenges, overcoming problems, which I think if we're being honest to an extent, all of us feel that tension. It starts with our attitude. And one of the first things that I, I, I do whenever I see a problem or, or somebody brings me a problem, I immediately remind myself and I'll remind the person I'm talking to. I'll say, hold on a second. This is an opportunity. Every problem is really an opportunity. And if we really think about it, no matter where we find ourselves um, listening to this episode, whether it be in your work life, career, at home, personally, the goals that you have for yourself, uh, the relation, relationally, um, a lot of what we do on a daily basis is solve problems. I mean, I, I don't know how many times um, I, I help solve a problem for my four-year-old son. Very, very practical, very uh, simple sometimes. But my job as his father is to help guide him and teach him and show him 
how to solve problems. And they could be as simple as making sure your shoe's on the right foot or <laughs> washing your hands after you use the restroom. But then we get into our, our lives and maybe our careers and a lot of what people do as a career is provide some type of service that does what? Solves a problem. I've talked before that I'm in technology and what, what the technology I provide does is solve problems for the people that use it and need it. And so a lot of us on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not, are simply solving a series of problems. And I think that there is a proactive awareness and a way that we can uh, approach it that helps us to just have a little bit more of an edge. Because if we're all going to solve problems, then we're all kind of on an even playing field. But what sets us apart is how we respond to those problems and the, the way that we we react to problem solving has a huge impact on the outcome. I looked up the definition of opportunity. If we're going to say a problem is merely an opportunity, well, what is an opportunity? An opportunity is a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. A set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something. Now, when I think about a set of circumstances, what I really hear is a set of problems. So an opportunity is a problem or a set of problems that makes it possible for us to execute or do something, solve the problem. So we got to start with our attitude. The attitude has to shift. If, if problems uh, arising, and by the way, just another quick disclaimer, problems don't show up on our timeline. They don't show up when we expect them. They don't, uh, surface when we're ready for them. Problems come when problems come. And a lot of times it's out of nowhere or maybe a little bit of a surprise or maybe you're completely blindsided by a problem. So how we solve that problem starts with our attitude. So if we can shift our mindset and not get too bogged down in what's going on, but figure out how we can, we can problem solve through what's going on, then, then we're going to have a better outcome. You know, in the past, we've talked about how much our attitude really does affect the way that we respond to things and and tackle things and and build um, up upon ourselves and and really having the attitude of this is an opportunity. It's a set of circumstances that makes it possible for me to do something about it. All of a sudden, I'm empowered by a problem. I'm challenged. I might be a little frustrated and irritated but I'm empowered by it because it gives me the opportunity, <laughs> gives me the control to do something about it. And that's a healthy, a healthy control to desire, I think, when it comes to problem solving. So let's get into some of the tactical. Um, and, and I think an honest reality that we all face is that people solve problems in two different ways. You either solve problems, uh, it's, either, it's either reactive or it's responsive to our words, but you either do reactive problem solving or you do responsive problem solving. And there's definitely a difference. When there's a reaction, it is a, 
uh, Newton's law. To every action, there's an equal or opposite reaction. You can't avoid it. When the action comes, the reaction follows. So that means you lack control. Uh, oftentimes, a reactive problem solver is chaotic. Um, maybe you'll resonate with this. Do you know somebody that every time there's a problem or there's a a, a, a challenge that they face, it is a 911 emergency for them? I can think of a couple people. I love the people in my life, but I know people that every single time, and, and I'll be honest too, like there are times where I respond this way. Well, I react this way, not respond. I react. And it's it's chaotic. It feels like an emergency when more than likely if, if you take a look at it from a different perspective, it's probably not quite as big a deal as you're making it. But without a plan and a tactical response to problem solving, it's going to be reactive and it's chaotic. Oftentimes unorganized or inefficient. Hopefully some of these words are resonating with you, whether it's convicting your you uh, in the way that you react to problems or it's making you realize how true it is that there's really two responses, reactive or responsive. Now, when we look at responsive problem solving, it's different. It's methodical. It's controlled. Um, maybe structured. Oftentimes more efficient. It's replicable. Well, you might be thinking, Adam, how is this replicable? Like problems change every day. You're right. The actual problem themselves might be different, but how we respond to them in the, the practicality, the tactical response, you can almost follow the same method every time and sharpen, sharpen your response here and there. Maybe, maybe respond a little differently in certain scenarios. But for the most part, there, there's a method to it. Now, I try to make these podcast episodes as practical as possible. Our, our mission, our tagline for Synergetic Culture is providing tactical and tangible content. I'm sorry, providing practical and tangible content that helps you build a synergetic culture. That came out really choppy. I apologize for that. Providing practical and tangible content to help you build a synergetic culture. So if we're going to do that, then I always want there to be action steps that you can take instead of just listening to something that's motivational or exciting and then walking away and being like, awesome, what do I do with this? Which side tangent is one of my pet peeves is when somebody gives a really motivating speech, but there's no action steps for me to walk away with. Sometimes you can figure them out, but oftentimes it's so helpful if you just give the practical next steps. So I want to give that to you. I want to, I want to be tactical here. So um, I came up with a couple of steps. They might look different for you, but I just want to get you thinking in this direction because like I said, a responsive problem solver, there's a method to it. doesn't matter how big or how small the problem. If you follow this method, it can save you a lot of time, a lot of chaos, frustration, unnecessary anxiety, and more than likely you're going to find a resolution to that problem that's more effective and that came quicker than if it was a reactive response. So here are the steps. Step one, you want to, you want to solve the problem better, faster, stronger, more, more effective pause. 
there's something so valuable about a pause. Um, and for somebody like me who has ADHD and I can talk a million miles an hour, I can process really, really fast. As soon as I find a problem, my gut reaction is I got to fix it. And some of that I, I mentioned earlier that I'd talk about some of the things that I was raised with. Um, my dad wa- was, is it, it, United States Marine. Um, he served many, 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 many years ago, but would still consider himself a Marine because once a Marine, always a Marine. Oorah, Semper Fi, all that stuff. <laughs> Shout out to the Marines in the family that listen to this. But from the time I was a, a child, young child, he would always empower me and my siblings telling us, hey, you're a problem solver. You can do this. Those little small, maybe seemingly insignificant problems that I talked about that I help my four-year-old son solve, I'll help him solve them and I'll empower him. Buddy, you're a problem solver. You're a Bieber. You can do this. You, you can solve problems. One of the phrases that his mom and I like to use is, we can do hard things. That helps teach a young, a young person that they have the ability to solve a problem. And it's so cute when a little four-year-old goes, Daddy, I can do hard things. I'm like, heck yeah, you can, buddy. So my initial reaction is to just jump in. I'm a problem solver. I can do this. I've heard it my entire life, and it's, it's great. It instilled in me the uh, uh, ownership of solving a problem. But I will say, when I, when I think about a, a strong, responsive, problem-solving attitude, Step one has to be pause. Why do we pause? Because pausing gives us a moment, even if it's just a true moment, to look at the problem and try to get a better understanding of what's going on. It allows you to zoom out for just a minute. Have you ever come across a problem and you're so lasered in and focused on it that the moment you share it with somebody else or somebody else comes alongside to help with they can see the 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 answer to that problem or the solution way faster than you can it's because they have a zoomed out perspective they're looking at it from multiple angles pausing before you jump to action is actually a really really helpful way of assessing the situation ensuring that the problem you think you see is an actual problem i come across this all the time just on a day-to-day basis where I will see something and my first reaction is this is a problem. But hitting pause, zooming out, looking at the entire scenario, and then trying to figure out what's going on has helped me to rule out problems or realize that what I thought might be a major problem really isn't a major problem. Um, And it allows me to be curious, staying curious, staring, um, uh, having that attitude of curiosity helps you to look at and assess a problem in a much more effective way. So that's step one, pause. Step two, um, again, these might look differently for you. So I don't want to make it seem like this is the only way, but I'm just, I'm just simply here to say that this has helped me be a responsive problem solver. But step two is something I call the five-minute rule. And it comes right after step one. You pause, 
and then you, you jump into the five minute rule. And for you, maybe the problems are a lot bigger that you're solving. Maybe you need 10 minutes, but let me explain to you what the five minute rule is. The five minute rule for me is I'm going to pause. I'm going to assess the situation and I'm going to spend five minutes trying to figure out what's going on. I'm going to gather intel. I'm going to do some, some research. I'm going to see if I can figure out what exactly is going on. And sometimes during that five minute period, like I said, I'm able to actually figure out that it's not really a problem. Or I'm able to find a very quick and helpful solution. But it also gives me a timeline to do that. Because what, what sometimes happens is people get paralyzed in the second step and all they do is just sink into the details and gather intel and do research and they don't actually come out of that, at least in an effective way. So then a problem that maybe should only take an hour to fix is taking six hours, majority of a workday because we got hung up on this step. And I like to put a time limit on it. For me, it's usually five minutes. I'm going to try to figure this out in five minutes. And if I can't figure it out and I don't have enough intel and I don't know what's going on, <laughs> well, then I'm going to try to expand a little bit and see if I can come up with a solution. Okay, I know that there's an existing problem. I don't really know why. Um, I know that there's an existing problem and I don't have a clear-cut solution to it. But... I'm going to sit down and after I go through those five minutes, I'm going to try to come up with a solution of what, of what could possibly solve this. Now, this is another area where I feel like I, I was in, in, this was instilled into me as a child. I remember my dad when I was younger saying, um, if there's a problem, don't just come to me with a problem, but come to me with a problem and a solution. And let's figure out if that's the right solution. And it seems so simple. But so many times, as soon as there's a problem... And we verify that it's an actual problem. We don't, we don't go any further. We go to somebody else and we say, hey, I've got a problem. Help me fix it. Therapist, help me fix it. Manager, help me fix it. Mentor, help me fix it, mom. We, we, instead, we, we stop at that point and we just have somebody else come in and, and fix it. And my dad would say, no, you, you don't have to just bring the problem. Why don't you bring the problem and then your idea of what could solve it? I, I like to find one to three solutions. If I can find one, maybe three, if it's, if it's complicated enough. But I'm going to come to you with, an, with a solution. And I'm going to try to see if maybe my idea will work. So that's step three. Look for potential solutions. Try to solve it. Give it a shot. And then step four is collaborate. Um, a couple weeks ago when Dwayne was on the podcast, he used that, that quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. There's so much value in including somebody else into the problem-solving process. Um, and a really good like practical example that comes to mind, um, there's a guy on my team right now. His name is Mike. And Mike is incredibly smart. There are certain things um, operationally, um, he's so detail-oriented. There are things that he's better than me at, and I know it. And I give him credit when, when I can, um, and, and especially when it's due. Um, but he and I have had this conversation so many times, and, and I have this conversation with my team because as a leader, I want to impart to them that they have the ability to go through this process, be methodical and tactical with how they respond to problems 
so that by the time the problems get to me as, as their leader, we actually have a legitimate problem to solve and we can collaborate together because they've done their part. And so there are times where we'll meet together and he'll say, hey, so I came across this problem. Now, I took a look at X, Y, and Z to ensure that it was, was an actual problem. And then I tried to figure it out a little bit. I gathered some more intel. I, I tried to see if anybody else had experienced that before. And, and here's my thought, Adam. I've got, I've got two ideas of how we could solve this. And then together, we'll collaborate. Because what he realizes is he can bring it to me, and I'm not always going to have the answer to everything. That's not why I'm, I'm his, his boss or a leader. But I do have the ability to share a different perspective. Or maybe that's a problem that I've solved before, and I know a way that we can overcome it. Him following this process makes our problem solving together as painless as possible. There are times where he'll, he'll bring something to me and I'll say, here's my thoughts, but give me a few minutes. Let me process this. Let me hit pause and kind of go through my own process and I'll get back to you. And what do I do? I, I pause, step one, five-minute rule. I go and do my own research and intel. Step three, I think about possible solutions, and then I bring it back and we continue to collaborate. This is very synergetic. This is collaboration. This is um, strategic, and it's methodical. There's a process here in place that when executed well brings about the best solutions with the lowest amount of friction and tension and stress. So I, my question to you is like, what is your process? What does it look like? What, what does your problem solving look like? Are you reactive? Do you find yourself reacting, lacking control, chaotic? A problem comes and it's 911 emergency. I need everybody to fix this. Or is there a methodical response to your problem solving that's tactical there's a process in place you follow the process and you get the best result out of it here's what i know i know that we're all going to face problems on a day-to-day -day basis i know that no matter where you enter this podcast episode there's probably a problem that came to mind as we've been talking about it and if one hasn't i challenge you to think through what's the last big problem you had to solve and I want you to think about your own response because it starts with ourselves. If we can't lead ourselves well, we can't lead other people well. And if we can't be um, uh, synergetic in the way that we communicate and help and solve problems, then why on earth would somebody else do it when we're asking them to do it? So it starts with, it starts with home. It starts with ourselves. So think about how do you respond? How, what's, your, what's your response look like? And then from there, think about what would your process be? I, I, I um, employ you to implement these four steps. Maybe adjust the time on the five-minute rule. But, but pause. Do the five-minute rule. Look for potential solutions and collaborate. Bring somebody into the conversation. If it's a very personal problem, Mentorship, therapy, um, just trusted uh, voices, trusted people that are in your life. Make them a part of the process. 
and collaborate and watch. Watch what happens when you start to do this on a regular basis, how it impacts the way that you respond to problems. It impacts your attitude, your stress levels. But if you have the opportunity to lead other people, it's going to impact the people that are around you. I've articulated this method and this process to my team so that they can go and do it themselves. And it's, it's, it's actually kind of funny because there, there are times where um, I'll, have, I'll have somebody come to me and they say, Adam, this is the problem. And I'll say, did you do the five-minute rule? And they'll say, yeah, I did the five-minute rule. I talked to this person and this person. I went to my accountability partner and talked to them about it. And then here's the two solutions I thought about. And I know for sure that they're following the process. So that when, when it comes to me, I'm like, all right, let's take a look at this. Yep, I, I, think, I think you're on the right track. Or maybe consider looking at it from this perspective. What if we said this? What if we, what if we did that? It, insert problem here. It really doesn't matter what the problem is. The process can be very similar or the same. And once you start to do that, it doesn't just make you a more efficient, more proficient, more tactical leader. It makes you a better person to be around. You start to start to impact the people around you with the way that they respond. And then I say this all the time, when the tide rises, all the ships in the harbor rise. When you're better and you help make other people better, you are, you are developing and changing and shifting the culture that you're in. It applies to any scenario. And I don't know about you, but the whole purpose of this podcast, I've already said it, is to build a better and more synergetic culture. This is one of the ways that we can do it. So problem solving, it's completely up to you how you respond. Otherwise, you're just going to react. So that wraps up part five of our series, Eight Soft Skills That Will Change the Way You Lead. Just a quick heads up, the next episode will be on one soft skill, and then seven and eight are going to be combined, hopefully with, a super awesome interview to tackle the last two as we wrap up this series and then continue on. Let me tell you, I'm excited as we head into the fall season. There's some amazing interviews and people that are going to come onto this podcast and share their insights and their experience and their knowledge and wisdom and encouragement. And I can't wait for everybody that listens to be a part of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you don't already uh, and you wouldn't mind following us on Instagram is probably like the best way that you can support. Um, the more that you follow and interact with our content, um, just the better it is for traction and awareness and getting the message out. Um, I've been really, really encouraged by uh, so many of you that have just reached out and shared your personal stories of how you've connected with various episodes. And I just want to thank you guys for doing that as well. And then as always, tune in next time for another episode of Synergetic Culture. We'll catch you next time. I'm Adam Bieber. I appreciate it. And we'll catch y'all next time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To learn more about Synergetic Culture, we invite you to go to SynergeticCulture.com. Sign up to receive our weekly podcast and blog. And then connect with us on social media. We want to be connected to you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe to the podcast and then share our show with the people around you so they too can build a synergetic culture. This episode was written and recorded by Adam Bieber, founder and CEO of Synergetic Culture. 
Synergetic Culture is a registered trademark of Adam Bieber and the Synergetic Culture Company. <laughs>